0: How many of you like naps? Amen. Nudge the person next to you that's already sleeping. No. Man, I uh, I don't know if there's anything I like more than a good nap. And a 15-minute nap is a great way to reset your brain from anxiety and frustration and depression. It's kind of like when your phone is being glitchy and you restart it. Uh, I think the world would be better if we all took more naps. We're probably all too caffeinated and, and all on edge. But I also have a pet peeve when it comes to naps. I can't stand almost being asleep and then a loud noise happens, something gets my attention, my stupid dog barks, and I just know that I'm not getting a nap. It's ruined. I hate that feeling. My re- uh, relaxation turns into hot-headed frustration. Have you all ever been there? Is that just me? It's not fun being interrupted. Next week, Pastor Scott's going to talk about Jesus' habit of making space for rest. And in the verses before this, Jesus repeat, uh, retreated excuse me, to a place of solitude to rest. He had recently had some rough days. He was rejected in his hometown again. And then John the Baptist, his friend, was killed. So Jesus heads off to the desert to be away from the crowd to retreat and to recharge and to refresh, to spend some time with his heavenly Father. See, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And that meant he allowed himself to feel fatigue ...and the stress of humanity... ...and he modeled rest for us. So we pick up in John chapter 6, verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee... ...which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him... ...because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So Jesus went up on the mountains. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover... The feast of the Jews was at hand and lifting up his eyes then and seeing that the large crowd was coming toward him. Christ had retired to a secluded place with his disciples, but this rare season of peace and quiet was soon broken, interrupted. The disciples thought they had found a place where they could uh, not be disturbed, but those that had followed Jesus before soon started to look for the teacher again. They began to search for Jesus, and they found the direction that he had gone with his disciples. And, And here they're coming to this mountain that Jesus is on, and he sees them. Jesus doesn't get much rest before he is enveloped with a crowd of people. But unlike me and my rest, Jesus was gracious and welcoming when being interrupted. Verse 5 goes on. It says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus knew what was going to happen next. The disciples didn't. And Jesus was going to show them all something. Something. Now it's important to note that it says here in this passage that it was Passover time. This is the time where the Jews remembered God providing them escape from slavery in Egypt over 3,000 years ago from today. And that's when he parted the Red Sea and he led them out into the wilderness away from slavery and he fed them with bread from heaven called manna. So it was Passover time, and they're once again in the wilderness, and he asks his disciples to find a way to provide food for this crowd, and the Bible tells us there's a crowd of 5,000 men. A few months ago, uh, at our first summer picnic, you may remember that we were shorted on our fried chicken order. We had some real heroes step up and run around and find chicken tenders and cook them up. That was a stressful day to just try and figure out how to feed 100 people on short notice. And if I was a disciple in this story, and Jesus asked me to throw together a meal for 5,000, and that's just the men, so it's probably more like 15,000 people. But if he had asked me to unexpectedly, without any resources, throw this meal together, I could see myself say, good luck, Jesus. I'm going home. But the disciples say, Master, it's going to take more than 200 days' wages to feed these people. That's a huge amount of money. I'm sure they're wondering if Jesus had some stacks of money that they don't know about. Not to mention there isn't a Walmart around. Even if they had the money, where would they get this amount of food? But again, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was going to show them something. One of them brings a boy with five loaves of bread and two small fish. If I was one of those disciples that saw one of those guys take that little boy's lunch to to Jesus, I would be embarrassed. Great job, Peter. You found enough to feed one little boy. How could this possibly help? But Jesus knew what he was going to do. He didn't turn the people away that wanted to follow him. Even though they interrupted his rest... And they brought all their problems and needs with them. Verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Here's what it says. It says, He said this to test him. For he, Jesus, knew himself what he would do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them even to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to all those that were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and they filled twelve baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the signs that he had done, they said... This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. There is a huge problem to be solved. And to be honest, Jesus kind of created this problem, right? Last time I was in a crowd of 5,000 people, I didn't say, hey, who's hungry? It's on me. The disciples wanted to send them away. But Jesus says, no, tell them to sit down. Here's an artist rendering of what something like that might have looked like. Just crowds and crowds of people. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was going to show them something. The disciples have no answers for this, uh, this problem except for this laughable offering of five loaves and two small fish. But Jesus says, make yourself comfortable, sit down, welcome to my dinner party. And he prays over the food, thanking God for this small offer to help. Now Jesus could have used the traditional Jewish prayer of thanksgiving, which when uttered over bread ran like this, blessed be thou Yahweh our God, King of the world, who cause bread to come forth from the earth. Then Jesus started dividing up the food. And as he sets the work, he's making this simple charcuterie. It makes no sense what they're seeing. It just keeps stretching and stretching and stretching. Some of y'all good cooks out there know how to stretch a meal, but not by 5,000%. People ate until they're stuffed. There were still 12 baskets of food left over. But this last sentence we just read was the whole reason that Jesus had done this miracle. It said, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus knew, and now the people knew, what this miracle was all about. Jesus was announcing to this whole crowd that he was the manna from heaven the bread of life to fill a hungry and starving world there was a prophet in the old testament that did something similar to this just on a smaller scale in second kings chapter 4 elisha fed a hundred men with only 20 loaves of bread and some grain and they ate more than enough in deuteronomy 8 uh, 18 15, it says that a new prophet this messiah would come And he would come like Moses, the man that led them out of Egypt into the wilderness, the the person they were following. And it says in that verse that he would come like Moses, and he would give them the words of God from his mouth. God provided this manna for them in the Old Testament in Exodus, but he commanded them not to get more than they needed and not to save any for the next day provided this bread-like substance that they could eat every day. There was new manna. See, it wasn't coincidence that this was at Passover time. See, God was showing them something. Colin G. Cruz says that this miracle uh, was happening at Passover, and it would be significant as the story unfolds, for Passover was a time when Jewish people recalled their deliverance from Egypt through Moses And they were looking for the prophet like him who was to come. And they expected the prophet to bring deliverance and to provide manna from heaven just as Moses had done. So over a thousand years earlier... From the time they're in, God had literally provided manna from heaven, this bread-like substance that would feed the people of Israel while they're walking around in the wilderness. And then they're out in the wilderness again on this mountain, and Jesus provides bread for them. In the Old Testament, this example of God giving his people something straight from his hand And now we see in the New Testament, Jesus fulfilling that and continuing that as he provides right from his hand as well. And the Jewish people, this connection for us doesn't always jump out. It's like, ooh, lots of food, that's cool. But this was a sign. He was saying something with this. And the Jewish people here understood that what Jesus did was more than just a miracle. He was showing them a sign. Jesus is the provision provided for them in the wilderness when they were hungry with no solution. Better than Moses, better than Elijah, Jesus is the bread of life that will always satisfy. Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem, which literally means the house of bread. And he provided abundance for them so that they didn't need to skimp. They had more than enough for tomorrow Jesus allowed this problem of not enough food in order to show the people and the disciples who he was they had an impossible situation but little is much when God is in it Jesus could have snapped his fingers and bread could have fallen from the sky like a Eli- uh, Eli- uh, excuse me like Moses with in the book of Exodus But instead, he used what this little boy had, and he allowed the disciples to take part of this miracle by passing out bread, collecting it. Jesus was showing them that he was the Messiah that they had waited for, and they got the message. We see in the next verse, in verse 14, it says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving them, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. People were so excited that the promised one was here, and they start making plans to fight the Roman government and install Jesus as king. Surely that's what God wants, right? That we should always be in power, right? But that wasn't the plan. Jesus was trying to show them something else. King Jesus' stage would be a mountain called Calvary, the place of the skull, a hill outside the city, a place of shame. His throne would be two wooden beams, and his crown would be a crown of thorns. His kingdom, not of this world, it was bigger. For now, Jesus knows that his plan is not government overthrow, and he retreats once again from the people to be alone. Matthew and Mark also record another instance where Jesus fed 4,000 men as well. The message through this miracle was that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that they had waited for, the bread of life. A few verses later, the crowd is still following them, but they got distracted from the message. And they, instead of wanting to put their faith in him, they come and they want something from Jesus, something temporary, something material that's just here in this world. And we can do the same as well where we try to use Jesus, use his words, But in this position, they just wanted bread to eat this time. In John chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, not because of what it means that I'm the Messiah, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. They had gotten distracted by the temporary. Instead of putting their trust in Jesus for the eternal, and it happened so fast. John 6, 32, Jesus goes on and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but the Father gives you the true bread from heaven... For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Again, thinking of the the temporary. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It wasn't loaves of bread that were going to change their lives. But Jesus alone the bread of life. And we can get distracted by the things of this world, and we can uh, try to waste our life on the moldy bread of this earth, but the fullness that Jesus brings will last forever. And you were created with a hunger and a thirst to know God, and that can only be satisfied through Jesus Christ. This all started with Jesus being interrupted in his time of rest with a a horde of people. I might have been upset. Jesus was gracious. There was this impossible situation. But Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was going to show them something. He wanted to show them who he was. And he did. Not all of them got it. Some of them got distracted by the material and the temporary. Jesus was showing them that he was there to save them. Not just temporarily, not just to fill their belly in a moment, but to save them for all eternity. For you today, the message is this, is that there is no lasting satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the bread of life. You can chase after all these things in this world that your passions and your desires and your dreams may have, but anything outside of Jesus is ultimately empty and temporary. Perhaps you're in a place right now that looks impossible. I know this that Jesus wants to be with you in this and to fill you with contentment and satisfaction. And just maybe, he wants to show you something miraculous as well. Let's uh, bow our heads and close our eyes as the band makes its way to the stage. In Sunday school or in other times when we read stories like this, it's easy for us to to think of these miracles that Jesus did as just isolated uh, displays of his power. But it's so much more than that. He's telling us a message. He was fulfilling prophecy, and he's telling us that that hunger inside of us can only be satisfied in him. Our heart is restless until we find rest in him. And we will be forever hungry and empty on the inside if we fill our hearts and fill our bellies with anything except for him. Like the prodigal son who finds himself in a pig pen trying to fill his stomach with the husks of this world. Instead, run to your father. Run to the Father that will accept you with open arms and forgive you for all that you have done as you've run away and wasted what He's given us. But there's mercy and grace in His eyes only. Our Father is so good. As we head into this time of prayer and meditation, whatever God spoke to your heart about, whatever he pressed on your heart, that little spot that's a scar or a little emptiness in you where you've been trying to fill, whatever that is, let go of all the stuff you've been trying to To dig up and instead ask Him to fill you, the bread of life. here today and you have not yet decided to follow Jesus you're not against it but you don't remember a time and a place back when you put your faith in Christ alone to save you see it all starts back at the beginning of humankind where sin floods into the world and brokenness and pain and shame and hurt and disease and death and war all flood this earth Creates a distance between us and God. The Old Testament's all about God giving His people ways to have a relationship with Him, and they continually, over and over again, fall short and reject Him, worship idols, and turn their backs on Him. God always had a plan back from the beginning that plan was to send his son, Jesus Christ, an equal part of the Godhead. To be born of a virgin 2,000 years ago and to live a perfect and a holy life so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. The Bible tells us that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That separation for us that was caused by sin. The wages of our sin was death. Jesus Christ paid it all on the cross. And He died in our place. And He rose in the third day, bringing our salvation with Him. That's the gospel. It's not enough just to go to church. It's not enough just to, you know, maybe join or, or, you know, give or get baptized, all that stuff is great, but unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only means of your salvation, then you're missing it. It's not complicated. In fact, it's so simple that it almost makes it hard in a way to believe that God would be that good. But the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus right now in this moment. It's not something you got to do every morning or anything like that. It is a decision. The Bible calls it repentance. Turning from your sin and all that you held on to, turning to Jesus. You could call out to Him right now. Your words aren't important. It's not a pledge of allegiance or a magic prayer. It's a, a cry from your heart. Could call out with something like this dear Jesus I know I'm a sinner and I know because of my sin that I deserve that punishment called hell God forgive me I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you Put my faith in what you did on the cross. God, save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. That's you today. You made that choice. That's the most amazing thing that you could ever do. And it's where this beautiful thing called the Christian life starts to be a Jesus follower. It starts with that decision put all your faith in Jesus. If you made that choice today, I'm not going to come to you or call you out or uh, no one else is looking around. You say, that's me, Pastor Phil. You made that choice today for the first time or the first time you really understood it. You just slip your hand up. I want to be able to pray for you. Say, that's me, Pastor Phil. If you made that choice and you write that down on your connection card. I chose Jesus. I'd love to be able to have a conversation with you about what comes next. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you so much for this sign that you've given us, that you are the bread of life that can fill us, and that everything outside is just temporary satisfaction that lasts just for a moment. But if we would put our faith in you that we could be filled and satisfied forever eternally God when we get our eyes off of you God help us to to come back because you are the bread of life